you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Good to see you tonight. Glad that you're here. And uh, I like what I feel in the house of the Lord. I want to get right into the Word because I've got some ground to cover tonight. And uh, I just want to get into what I believe that God has put on all my heart. I'm going to read two two, uh, different sections of Scripture Uh, Matthew chapter 7, then we'll be going to Galatians chapter 5. So first of all, we'll read Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 16. Very familiar passage of Scripture. The Bible says, ye shall know them by their fruits. Everybody say, we'll be known by our fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth Good fruit. Everybody say good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth, bringeth not forth, rather, good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Whereby, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Galatians chapter 5, two verses of Scripture I want to read in your hearing. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Everybody say love. Joy. Everybody say joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. Temperance. Against such there is no law. Now I want to I, I, I want to more teach and just speak to you tonight from this subject. You will be known by the fruit that you bear. We love to talk about we like to talk about the new birth experience. We like to talk about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And we love it when in, a, in one of our services that someone is born again. We love, we rejoice, we rejoice with one that comes and makes a conscious decision to repent, to be baptized, and then they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We love that. We we talk about it often. We talk about the waters of baptism being stirred, and we talk about uh, those that we believe that God's laid on our heart that God's going to send to us. And we talk about, we love to talk about a great end-time revival and harvest. And you see, we talk about the new birth experience, and, and rightfully we, we should, but the new birth experience just simply uh, 
is a type and shadow, if you will, of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it is a type and shadow in our life that when we repent, we die out to the old man. And then when we go into this baptistry and we're baptized, calling upon the name of Jesus Christ, that is the burial of the old man. And then when God fills us with the Holy Ghost and with His Spirit, then that is a type and shadow of the resurrection. Acts 2 and 4, I'm going to bring a lot of Scripture to you tonight. I hope that's okay. But Acts 2 and 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other what? Tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Acts 10, 44 through 48, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost, everybody say the Holy Ghost, fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues. Everybody said they spoke with tongues. And magnify God. And then Peter then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Everybody say the name of Jesus. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. We talk about the gift of the Holy Ghost, and we talk about we talk about we rejoice over one who comes and they, they yield their life and they, they repent of their sins and, and we rejoice with them when they lift their hands. And it's, it's quite comical because you, you, it, it, it's, it's a wonder sometimes that anybody gets the Holy Ghost because we got somebody yelling over here, come on, and we got somebody over here yelling, let go. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's sometimes it's a toil, and I say that jokingly, but we rejoice over one who, who God fills with His Spirit as they begin to speak in other tongues. But I, I, and it is the sign. It is the initial sign of one receiving the Holy Ghost. It is the initial sign. It is the initial sign of the Spirit of God entering into a life. And I've heard pastors say it, and I've said it. I wonder why that God chose the gift, the, speaking in tongues to be the initial evidence. I wonder why he didn't have us pat our head and rub our belly at the same time. Some of us, some of us can't chew gum and walk at the same time. I don't know how that would have happened. But God chose tongues as a sign. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you that tongues are not for the believer. The reason that, that someone speaks in tongues, it is not for the believer. And I'm, I'm going to give you a Bible for this, 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Wherefore, so, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but unto them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So why? Why are tongues not the evidence, or why are they not the continuing evidence? Now listen, I don't, don't misunderstand me tonight, okay? I believe Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you do. And I think that I think that we should speak in tongues. 
the Bible says to stir up the gift that is within us. And I believe that if, that every Holy Ghost-filled believer ought to speak in tongues. Everybody say, I ought to speak in tongues. As the Spirit gives the utterance. But why are tongues not, are they not the evidence to the seasoned saint? 1 Corinthians 12 and 10 tells us that tongues are a gift of the Spirit. Okay, they are a gift of the Spirit. And then in Romans eleven twenty nine, the Bible tells us that these gifts, that gifts from God are without repentance. Everybody say without repentance. I want to break that down for you. I, want, I really want to touch on that gifts are without repentance. I'm going to break it down, the first phrase, for the gifts or the favors or benefits which God bestows on us. And the translation for gifts or favors in this context is charisma or a gift of grace and undeserved favor. With this denotes, this scripture denotes any benefit which is conferred on another as a mere as a mere matter of favor and not a reward. And what I want to tell you that these gifts that God gives us, the gifts that God gives us in our lives, the things that He does for us, sometimes it's peace when, when we ought not have peace. And sometimes it's joy when we really, uh, by man's standards, don't have any reason to have any joy. Sometimes, well, most, and it ought to be for everyone, the gift of forgiveness of sin, the gift of baptism, or the, the gift of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They are a matter of favor. They are not a reward. So what I want to tell you tonight is that there is nothing that I or you or any of us in this building can do to deserve the gifts that God gives us. There's nothing that we can do. There's no amount of goodness. There is no, there's no uh, amount of, of righteousness in me that I deserve the gifts of the Lord. Yet the Lord gives gifts. It says if the, the scripture says, and I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it, but if, if parents know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more does our Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to us? And sometimes, though, the gifts may not come exactly as we want them, but we need to recognize that every time that God blesses us, that every time that God makes a way for us, every time that God spares us, every time that God heals us, every time that God delivers us, although it may not be exactly what we want, we've got to recognize that those are a gift, those are a favor from the Lord. And let us never get confused that, that any amount of goodness or any amount of righteousness, sometimes we like to get puffed up in ourselves and think that we are, are better than we actually are in God's eyes. But we must realize that there's no amount of goodness. There's nothing that we can do to deserve the gifts that God gives us. Everybody say amen. The next phrase in that scripture, and calling of God, calling uh, which comes from a Greek word, uh, Keshis here is the only way I can pronounce it. I just wanted to throw that out so I look smart tonight. Denotes invitation to come and to partake. 
Everybody say partake of his favors and his blessing. Sometimes, sometimes those uh, that calling comes through revelation. I, I, I remember hearing the story, and I think Sister Sheila's here tonight, that when Pastor taught uh, Sister Sheila and Brother Terry a, a Bible study, they, had, they didn't... Sister Sheila had come to church as a child, but Brother Terry had, had no, no dealings with church or religion that I know of. But that uh, Brother Jordan and Sister Jordan taught them a Bible study in an apartment right down the street here. And I remember Pastor telling, and he's told it in this pulpit, that there was a time where Brother Terry, Brother Terry later said, he said, if I'd known it, that y'all spoke in tongues, I'd have hit the road. But there was a there was a Bible study, and I believe it, it it covered baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And there was a moment of revelation that came when he said, "I see it. I I, I understand what you're talking about. Sometimes it comes through revelation. Sometimes God reveals some things in in the Spirit because because we we are not smart enough in in our humanity to understand the ways of God. We're not. There are some things that we're just not smart enough to catch. There's Things that we are not smart enough to understand. Sometimes those gifts or that, that calling rather comes through a promise of God. Maybe, maybe in prayer God promises you uh, that He is going to do something in your life or that God promises you that He is, you feel in prayer that God's going to save your, your family or that God's going to save your children. Sometimes it comes through promises and sometimes it just comes through the in. In the uh, influence, or rather, or the impression of His Spirit, or the Holy Ghost. Sometimes we just we get called away in the Spirit, and we and we're communion with God, and it's just us and God. And sometimes a calling comes through the influence of the Holy Ghost. But what I want us to understand tonight that whatever the case is, okay, however God chooses to call, or however God chooses to draw us. We do not choose Him, rather He chooses us. We don't choose Him. We don't, there's no goodness in us that we should choose Him, but God chooses us out of grace and out of mercy because some of us in this building tonight, by all rights, shouldn't be here. Some in this building have been brought out of situations or you've been healed or God has done things in your life that He should not ought to have done. You, your, your life ought to be a mess and you, you should be out in the world in darkness with no peace and no joy, yet you sit in church on a Wednesday night and you worship, you clap, you lift your hands because the mercy and the goodness of God because He chose you. And then the last phrase I'm going to pull out of that scripture without repentance, which simply means that God does not repent or God does not change his mind. How many are glad to know that God doesn't change his mind? What he promises, he will fulfill. What he purposes for your life, he will not abandon. I'm speaking to somebody tonight. You can't go far enough for him. You can't the prodigal son went to a far country. I know it was a parable, but it had it was a heavenly story with earthly meaning. He went to a far country, but when he came back, when he came to himself, he had not gone so far that his father did not receive him with open arms and with a feast 
and with celebration. There's nothing that you can do. There's not any place that you can go that's far enough for him that he'll forget about you or that he'll turn his back on you. He is without repentance. If he called you, if he chose you, at no time will he change his mind. When we walk away from God, we change our mind and we choose to remove ourselves from under the covering of our Heavenly Father. But at no time will God just change his mind and say, I, you know what, I, I got into more than I bargained for. You're much worse than I ever thought you would be, so I'm going to walk away from you. God is without repentance. If he called you and if he chose you, that ought to be a promise for some parents that are in this house tonight. Your children may have walked away, but there's no place that they can go that God can't reach them. There's no pit of sin. I feel the Holy Ghost in here talking about this tonight. There's no pit of sin too great that God will turn his back on your children and your family. Somebody shout amen. So what is the continuing evidence of the Spirit in the life of a believer? Or how do I know, some may ask, that I still have the Holy Ghost? I, I want to share a personal story here tonight. I received the Holy Ghost at the age of 12. I was a late bloomer. God had to change some things in me, folks, i got to tell you. But right about where Sister Dana Randall's sitting, I received the gift of the Holy Ghost in this very building. And it used to bother me. I remember having a conversation with Pastor as a brother-in-law one time. I remember I was still a young kid, and I remember weeping, and I said, I don't, I don't, what's wrong with me? He said, what, what do you mean? I said, I spoke in tongues at 14 years of age when God filled me with the Holy Ghost, but there's something, I haven't spoken in tongues since. And some people in this building Maybe in the same boat, or maybe you've found yourself in the same place. I never understood, and I, I never, and, and at, at that age, I was just, I was devastated because I, I felt like I could come to a service, and I, I felt like I couldn't, couldn't get anywhere. I could worship, but I, I felt like I just, my worship got nowhere. And so there was times that I asked, well, how do I know that I have the Holy Ghost? How, how do I know the devil would? The, the enemy, rather, was in my, my ear, bending my ear, telling me, well, you didn't really receive the, the Holy Ghost. You really, you really didn't speak in tongues. And so, so tonight, I want to I clear up this question because it was a question that I had, and I, I know that if I had it, there's others that have had it at, at one point in your life, or maybe you're there right now. I don't, I don't know, and I'm not here. Uh, nobody's here to judge you if that is you, and we don't, nobody thinks any differently of you. But how do I know that I still have the Holy Ghost? Well, Paul deals with this topic in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 when he says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And then in verse 19 and 20, Paul describes the works of the flesh. Then he takes the works of the flesh and, and the gifts of the Spirit and he contra contrasts them with the fruits of the Spirit, naturally produced fruits of the Spirit. 
that are just occurring in the lives of those that are full of the Holy Ghost because they are just simply a product of a new creature or a new nature in Christ. You see, Spirit, when we talk about the Spirit, we talk about the continuing evidence of the Holy Ghost infilling is the fruit of the Spirit. That's how we know that we are walking in the Spirit. We can come, listen, we can come to church week after week, night after night, and we can speak in tongues until we're blue in the face. And I think that we should speak in tongues. But if we are not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. See, we like to take the tongues thing, we like to take the speaking in tongues, and we like to say, well, it stops there. I, I spoke in tongues. God filled me with the Holy Ghost, and He did. Everyone that has the Holy Ghost in this room, you spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Okay? And we like to take that and say, well, I, I spoke in tongues, and I'm good. I, I spoke in tongues Sunday night, and I spoke in tongues on Wednesday night, and I think that's good. And we like to take that and say, well, that ends there. But when we start dealing with the fruit of the Spirit, Against the works of the flesh. Because I don't care who we are in this place, and I don't care how long we've had the Holy Ghost, we still sometimes slip back to the works of the flesh because how many know that we're flesh? So we take, we want to take so often just the speaking in tongues, but we want to ignore the fruit of the Spirit. We want, to, we want to ignore the gentleness and the kindness and the meekness and the, and the love one for another. And we say, well, I spoke in tongues, so I'm good to go. But if we're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, then we're really not walking in the Spirit. Because how many know that, that in a sinful world, in a world full of flesh, sin, corruption, lust, idolatry, how many know that it's important important for every Holy Ghost-filled child of God to walk in the Spirit? We must walk in the Spirit. And so the fruit of the Spirit, which follows the infilling of the Holy Ghost, is not of our human nature, but it is of God's nature. Because it goes against everything that our flesh believes and desires. And when we talk about that, I want to quickly go through the fruit of the Spirit. The first fruit of the Spirit, everybody say love. Love is an affection reserved for deity. Filio, love. Giving on His due, it's merited, deserved. Just the opposite of hate. How many know that love is the opposite of hate? I just want to establish that tonight. Make sure we're all on the same page. But that's filio love. It's, it's love that is merited and love that is deserved. It is the most kind, most common kind of love. And there's um, eros love, which is romantic with and it's simply love with expectation or anticipation. And then we move into agape love, which is reserved for deity, while, while yet enemies of the cross, this is a, an example of agape love that 
while yet enemies of the cross, Jesus died for us. That is agape love. That is love that is simply reserved for deity. It's love that we cannot, as human beings, that we cannot comprehend. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand tonight, but I doubt if I did that there many would do it that would say, I would gladly give my child for someone who may never reciprocate that kind of love towards me. I love you. I love them enough that I'm willing to give mine for a love that may never be reciprocated. That's what God did. When he robed himself in flesh and he dwelt among us, he gave himself for those of us knowing that for many that love would never be reciprocated. We talk about that he came and his own received him not. Do you think for a moment that when he came that he did not know that he would not be received by his own? but agape love, love reserved for deity, something that human nature cannot even comprehend. But God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. The second fruit of the Spirit, and I'm going to rush through these quickly, and I, I apologize, I've got a lot of ground to cover, and I don't, want to, I don't want to keep you past time. But it's joy. Everybody say joy. And joy here is not merely referring to happiness. You see, because happiness depends on happenings, and happiness depends on conditions. Sometimes we're happy. Things going well in our lives, we're happy. The bills are paid on time, we're all real happy. And ever, as long as the kids are healthy and the, the wife and the husband are happy, we're, or, or, or healthy, rather, and as long as the conditions are good, then we're happy. But this joy that we read about is not merely happiness. But 1 Thessalonians 1 and 6 says, In much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Peter 1 and 8, 1 Peter 1 and 8, Ye rejoice with joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Or how about Psalm 16 and 11? That will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. That means that joy that is not connected to happenings. It means happiness that is not connected to conditions. That means that sometimes we walk in joy when there should be no joy in our lives. That means that we have joy. Every Holy Ghost filled child of God. 
has joy, who is walking in the Spirit, will have joy no matter what is, what's going on in your life. Does it mean that you like everything that's happening? Does it mean that you agree with everything that is happening? But in all things, you can find a glimmer of joy. And you can put your feet on the floor in the morning when you don't feel like getting up and say, God, you've been good to me today. God, I know that, that you're, that you're going to be with me today. I know that you're going to walk with me. I know that you're going to talk with me. And God, I have joy in my heart knowing that I get to spend this day with you. It's like that little boy who got up, woke up one morning. He hit his knees and he said, God, I thank you for this day. God, I, I thank you for being with me. I haven't I haven't talked back to my mom and dad. I haven't fought with my brother and my sister. I haven't cussed. I haven't fussed. I haven't been angry with anybody, and I haven't caused anybody to go astray. And then he ended his prayer with, but God, in about five minutes, I'm going to get out of bed for the day, and I'm going to need your help from here on out. The joy, the joy in serving God. There's a joy in knowing God. The Third fruit of the Spirit is peace, simply a calm in the storm. Now listen, it's not, a, it's not an absence. It's not an absence of chaos, and it's not an absence of turmoil, and it doesn't mean that there won't ever be a storm. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to go wrong. It's, it's not an absence of these things, but it is simply a presence of tranquility, knowing that God has got everything in control. It's knowing that God knows exactly where we're at and that God is concerned and he is he is he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It's it's that he knows the very hairs on our head and he has them numbered and that he knows where we came from and where we're going to next and that that he knows the steps that we're going to take and he knows that we might stumble and fall but he's there to catch us. It's not a absence of a stumbling block. It's not an absence of wind and waves because there will always be winds and waves and there will always be stumbling blocks but it's peace that comes with knowing that I have got my hand in the hand of the master. I've got my hand in the hand of the one that can speak peace into my storm. Philippians 4 and 7 and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. John 14 and 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That means that whatever we walk through in life, that we don't have to be fearful. That no matter how, how bad the, the waves get or how big the, the storm rages, we don't have to be afraid because we know the one that gives peace. That, that, that when, when the phone rings and the doctor report comes in and they say it's cancer or they say there's nothing else I can do, there's a time there that you know that I've got my hand in the hand of the Lord and He's going to walk with me no matter where I go. He's going to talk with me no matter how bad it gets and He's going to be a light in my life no matter how dark it may get. Peace that passes all understanding. This one we're not going to like. Everybody say long-suffering. 
Everybody say patience. We don't like that one. Okay, I don't like that one. I'm not the most patient guy in the world. I'm working on it. I'm asking God. That's my problem. I've been working on it. I haven't asked God enough to help me with it. But this means literally long-tempered as opposed to short-tempered. That means holding your tongue. That means not giving somebody the peace of my mind, which I have so little to give anyways. Long-suffering. I'll tell you what happened to me yesterday. My wife automatically assumed I got in trouble, but I did not. I was driving just outside of Lafayette. I don't even know what road I was on. GPS had me cruising down the road. And I looked up on my right, and I saw an elementary school, and I saw kids playing out in the parking lot. I saw that there was the parking lot, and there was a strip of grass, and then there was a road. And so I'm driving, and I noticed there was one little boy standing at a tree by himself. And I just driving, not thinking about anything. And all of a sudden, I saw some punk come run up to that kid, grab him by the neck, and throw him on the ground. I'm like, and then as I look back when I wasn't looking at the road, <laughs> well, something caught my attention. I saw four or five other boys come out and begin to beat up on this one kid. And I go, I'm going to tell you, Brother Jerry, I was not in the Holy Ghost. I was livid. Mad is mad. Livid is really mad. And I saw that nobody was coming to this kid's rescue, so I whipped the truck, my truck around in the middle of the road, and I pulled up, and I'm not from here to the back of the building from those kids. And I rolled down my window. I said, hey! The kids popped up. I said, leave them alone. And I'm looking to make sure no, nobody's watching me. I said, get your hands off of them. Don't touch them again. I didn't hold my tongue. I came to some kid's rescue. And I know that the adults on the, on the playground that were monitoring the kids, which apparently were not monitoring the kids. <laughs> I, I drove into the school. I was going into the office to tell somebody. As I'm walking in, I'm marching in. I got the, my brows furrowed, which it always is, my wife tells me. When I'm singing, she looks at me and goes. <laughs> and you get some stitches at home. <laughs> Botox. No. I walk into the, I'm walking in the office. This lady says, sir, can I help you? Is there a problem? Yes, sir. I said, is, is, is there a problem? Did you not just see what happened over there? It's a good example of not holding your tongue. And I, long suffering. I should have long suffered right on down the road. Well, thank you. It makes me feel better. I didn't think I ought to either. That's a humorous story. It's not humorous what happened, but 
I'm talking about being long-suffering, that where we hold our tongue, causes us to go against our very human nature. Well, I almost gave them a piece of my mind. Somebody told me one time, referring to giving somebody a piece of my mind, I said, it's better to keep your mouth shut and appear intelligent than to open your mouth and to remove all doubt. Because sometimes we speak out of anger. And that old adage that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, that's a lie. We speak out of anger. We're sharp. We're quick to tell somebody what we think. Like they most times even care what we think. And we walk away saying, my, my I told them, didn't I? This is what I said. Oh, I'll tell you what I would do if I were you. Long-suffering means walking away when you really want to spew venom. It means walking away from a, a, a fight or an argument. Walking away, keeping your anger in check. It's the ability to endure ill treatment from someone without lashing out and paying them back. And this really is a God trait. God used this six times in direct description, the Bible does rather, six times in direct description of God, slow to anger, and of great kindness, of great mercy in Psalms. And then in Nahum, it speaks of him of great power. Paul saved. He was saved. Paul, God did things in, in Paul's life. Everybody knows the story. He was Saul, a persecutor of the Christians. And then he had a, a Damascus Road encounter with God. And, and, and God changed him, changed his very name, changed his nature to the point. He changed him so much that when, when he was going to the, when he continued on his trip and he got to the city where he was going, that the leaders in that city saw the change and saw that he, he wasn't going to persecute like he always did. And they even sought his life. Because there was such a great change in his life. That's a perfect example of how long-suffering God is. How God can take a accuser of the brethren and turn him into one of the greatest disciples and apostles to do great exploits. Paul said, in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 1, he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath... See, Paul knew. Paul knew that God had no... What, what am I trying to say? He had no, no right of course to, to be so long-suffering. But he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor. He starts describing himself. Then he said, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. 
This is a faithful saying and worthy of all. It's a patient that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You, you see what Paul's saying here? He's saying, I am this and I am that. I am a sinner like everybody else, yet Jesus chose to be long-suffering with me. And he said in verse 16, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. It's a con its contrast is that in fits of anger and resentment that we walk away and we desire and we strive to be more like Christ who is long-suffering. You see, life without it, life without it is on a perpetual conflict. But being Christ-like means simply to become long-tempered, to guard our tongue, to learn to, to hold our words when our words just bring perpetual conflict. Listen, if your words and what you say and how you respond, and I'm, I'm speaking to me as much as I'm speaking to anybody else, if the words that we speak are always bringing forth conflict, if they're always causing someone to be angry or be hurt, we're not walking in the Spirit. We say we want to be Christ-like, but we're not being Christ-like. Because Jesus, after enduring the beatings and the cross and the humiliation, the Bible said that he uttered not a word. Being Christ-like is to be long-tempered. This requires forgiveness on our part. And that, that true definition of forgiveness is giving up all rights to expect punishment of offender, even to the point of pleading for the release from guilt. Does that sound familiar? Because Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God removed the guilt from the accuser because they really don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're bringing upon themselves. They don't know the guilt that they're bringing upon themselves. But to live in long-suffering, to walk in long-suffering, it requires for us to have trust that God is in control, even in the midst of chaos, and that all things, if I heard my grandfather quote it once, I heard him quote it a million times when he said, all things Work together for good to them that love God. We have to release others and our frustrations. 
We have to give them to God before we can ever become long-suffering. Next, fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. This simply means kindness. It's an attribute of God that is most attached to long-suffering. It is kindness in the most practical of ways. It is the follow-through, if you will, of long-suffering, gentleness. It is doing the right thing even when it's hard. Look at the contrast. Scripture says, Have ye heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? But I say unto you, If they smite you on the cheek, turn the other one to them. Or if they take away your coat, give them also your cloak. If he compels you to go a mile, go with him too. Look at the contrast. He continues his lesson in the scripture in teaching us how it works when he said, Have you heard it said, love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy? That's natural for us. But he says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. That's what he wrote in Matthew chapter 5. Two things we can take away from this teaching in Matthew. The first is action. It means he's telling us to love, to bless to do good, to pray for others. They're all action verbs. We cannot claim this attribute of, of gentleness without a liberal manifestation, a literal rather manifestation of gentleness in our lives. We can't say that we want to be Christ-like and that we want to love and we want to bless and we want to do good when we really aren't doing those things. It's not our intentions. It's not what we want to do. And it's not about what we would like to do, but it's about what we actually do. It's not that we, we want to be gentle, but it's whether or not we are allowing God to work gentleness in us. It's not if, whether or not we want to be long-suffering, if we mean to be long-suffering. I, I told them, I told him off. I, I really didn't mean to do it. Well, that's, it doesn't matter that we didn't mean to do it. It's that we actually did it. Am I making sense tonight? It's not about our intentions. We have good intentions. It's not about good intentions aren't going to get us to heaven. Just simply wanting to go to heaven is not going to get us to heaven. But it's actually what we do with what God has given us. What we do with the opportunities. What we do with the, with the things, the opportunities that God sets before us. Those are what matters. What we actually do. It's our actions in the midst of adversity. It's our actions when one despitefully uses us or talks about us or I guess that's just me. 
Second thing I like for you, thing I would like for you to take away from Matthew chapter five is identity. These actions identify us with Him. Peter identified with Jesus because of because his speech betrayed Him. We do we do not today have a physical manifestation of Christ in our lives. There's not a physical being, but our kindness. Our long-suffering, our love, our peace separates us from the world if its source is Jesus within us. We don't have the physical manifestation for others to look on us and, and believe. It's those things that God works into our lives. When someone sees a change, they say, I know you used to be that way. I know you used to be quick to anger. I know that you were never patient. But I see a change in you. And let me let me let me get on here. Uh, there's so much I want to say. Goodness, I'm quickly drawn to a close. Uh, goodness, which is simply integrity. If gentleness is doing the right thing, even when it's hard, then goodness is doing the right thing for the right reasons. Second Corinthians five. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us to, or has given to us rather, the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the world of reconciliation. Now then, are we ambassadors of Christ? As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made himself to be sin for us. Do you catch that? Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him doing the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. Jesus, God, looked down on sinful man and he said, there's no way that they'll ever live up to the law. There's no hope of salvation. He knew it was going to be hard. He knew it was going to be difficult and during the cross. Yet he came. Yet he did it. And he did it for the reason of you and I. Faith or faithfulness. This word in the Greek is translated as faith or faithfulness. The world today struggles with faithfulness. Because we are, we live in a, it's an all about me society. Nobody's faithful. Husbands aren't faithful to wives in the world, and you could go on and, and on and on and on. We don't live in a faithful world. There's no, there's no faithfulness. Faithful people are known for their trustworthiness and their loyalty. Walking in the Spirit means, to walk in the Spirit means that we've got to be faithful, depend on God's Word, taking His Word at its very meaning. It means we'd be faithful in walking with Him 
in no matter what direction life takes us or no matter what conflict pops up in our lives or whatever temptation. I ought to be getting some amens about this one. No matter what temptation or, or being faithful in our relationships and our friendships. Being faithful to God and choosing a mate. I'm glad the young people are in here tonight. And choosing someone you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Are they faithful? Do they have integrity? Do they keep the things of God at forefront in their lives? Proverbs says it like this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lead not into thy own understanding. Faithful people, dependable people, committed people, reliable people, know that in themselves they are wavering and weak, but it's in Him that we find our strength. James said it like this, Is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of His own will beget He with us the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. A couple more, and I'm quickly going through these. Meekness, humility. Everybody say humility. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. Rather, it is thinking of yourself less. That's true humility. Godly humility equals submission to His Spirit, to His ways, to His will. Jesus said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. John the Baptist penned these words when he said, I must decrease that he must that so he can increase. John expounds, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that come, cometh from heaven is above all. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek, to be humble, to walk in humility, knowing that we within ourselves are nothing, but it's Christ that is in us. Because we can't, we can't take our next step without Him. We can't do one thing without Him. Temperance, control, the ability to choose the important over the urgent. Temperance is translated from the word that literally means strength. Strength, control. When I get angry, that I will, that I will exude temperance. I will, I will, I will put forth self-control. Not willpower or self-control, but I'm talking about spirit-surrendered control. When it goes against everything that we want to do. That's walking in the Spirit. When we exuber or when we show forth self-control that is against what we really want. Galatians 5, 
And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. They've crucified it. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We must remember the context of this list of these of these things that we are trying to gain control over. It is a contrast to Paul's list of the works of the flesh, the the lust and the idolatry, the sorcery, the witchcraft, and strife, jealousy, anger, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, lack of unity, the envy, the drunkenness, and the things like these. When he said, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said to inherit the kingdom. He gave us some very direct rules to follow or a road map. He said to inherit the kingdom, you must be born again. Of water and of spirit. The works of the flesh will pass away and then they will be replaced with the fruits of the spirit. So how do we know? How do we know? In closing tonight, you know, we know when someone is, someone has good manners because we see it. They know how to use a fork. They're not sitting at a restaurant with their face over the plate. They got good manners. They're using a fork. They got a napkin in their lap. If you're like me, that napkin does no good. You're going to wear it anyways. How do we know? How do we know if we're walking in the Spirit? We're going to know by the fruit that we bear. Am I bearing the fruits of the Spirit? Stand with me tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Are we, are, we, are we showing forth the fruit of the Spirit? Are we walking in the flesh? You would know it by the fruit that we bear. I see some things in me. I saw something in me today. Oh, God, I, I should not respond that way. That means we're not walking in the Spirit. That means that we're not, we're not where we should be. We need to ask God. Listen, in, all the, in the, the fruit of the Spirit, nothing that we can do on our own. I was talking with Brother John Reading a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, we talk about fruit of the Spirit. He talk, we talk about patience, and, or I really need to work on patience. I notice I'm not as patient. It's not about needing to work on anything. It's either we're patient or we're not. It's either that God is giving us patience or we're not, we're not walking in the patience that God's given. We can't say, well, I need to work on that. We need to say, God, I need you to help me with that. God, I need you to give me patience. I need you to give me some long-suffering. Give me some control. That's, that's the fruit of the Spirit. I'm closing with this. It was last, I think it was last winter last winter, that we had a warm snap, and it was winter time, and I remember walking outside one day, and my trees were budding. I thought, what in the world? It's winter time. Trees don't bud in the winter time. Everything's dead in the winter time. Trees look dead. The leaves are gone, and I saw my leaves budding. 
and pretty soon the leaves begin to bloom. And I was thinking about that today. I thought, well, how, how, how fitting is that? Because people look at us and say, you shouldn't have joy. You're sick. You shouldn't have peace in your life. Look at your life. It's a mess. Look at all these things going wrong in your life. People look at it and say, well, you shouldn't act that way. You shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't be happy. You shouldn't be. You should just give them a piece of your mind. No, I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm walking in the, and when I'm walking in the Spirit, its fruit will show out through me. Others will look at me and say, you shouldn't be like that. I don't understand, but tell me. Tell me what, you got something different. Tell me what, what it is about you that causes you to be happy when you shouldn't be happy. How many are thankful for the fruit of the Spirit? How many are thankful that God causes us to have joy when we shouldn't have joy? He gives us peace when there should be no peace. And he, 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 he walks with us when He should just leave us alone. But it's walking in the Spirit, walking, trying to be Christ-like. To be Christ-like means to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Lift your hands right now. God, we love you today. God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the fruit of the Spirit that you put in, in the life of every Holy Ghost field, child of God, thank you for being long-suffering and patient with us. God, thank you for God, thank you for giving us peace. God, thank you for joy that you give to us, Lord, when there should be no joy. God, I pray that you would help each one of us, God, to walk after the things of the Spirit. Not to walk in 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 flesh, God, but to walk after and in the Spirit. God, let your Gifts, let the fruit of the Spirit shine forth in us, God, that others will see you in us, God.